the more deeply the body opens, our whole mind, body, heart, soul goes into a much higher frequency. And then the channeling that comes down is fully embodied. It happens in every cell of the body. I believe that your personal life and your professional life are inherently linked. And when you do the work on both sides, you can become the most successful version of yourself. This is a place where wisdom meets leadership, where success meets spirituality. Welcome to Do the Work with Denise Love Hewitt. I first came across Nicholas Yanni when I read his book, Leader is Healer. Nicholas Yanni has devoted his life to the study of human potential. Since an awakening at the age of 16, he has studied and practiced many different forms of personal and spiritual development. He works with CEOs and senior teams globally and teaches at two of the world's leading business schools, bringing a new vision and practice of leadership. He bridges the worlds of creative, personal, spiritual, and professional development in a uniquely powerful, relevant, and accessible way. In his first career, he was a theater director. He studied with Jerzy Grotowski in Poland. He taught at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London and directed his own theater company. He spent over 30 years researching the theory and the practice of the zone of peak performance. His book, Leader as Healer, a new paradigm for 21st century leadership was published to great acclaim in March, 2022 in Europe and June, 2022 here in the US. I can't recommend this book enough and I'm so, so deeply honored to have Nicholas on the podcast today. Thank you, Nicholas, for being here. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm just so truly excited for this conversation. And you're all the way from, you're, you're zooming in from the UK. No, actually, I'm in Israel at the moment. We're in Israel. <laughs> My wife is Israeli, so we have a home here. I'm in Herzliya, near Tel Aviv. Very cool. Well, thank you for making the time so far away. I really appreciate it. And I really want to understand because I think people... We all have our journey. We all get these moments. When did you first know that you were a spiritual person? Actually, very clearly, age 16. And, you know, briefly, I was, I was at school in London. I was a rock and roll kid. And one school holiday, a friend of mine said, my grandmother lives in a Tibetan Buddhist monastery in Scotland. We were in London. I'm going to visit her. Do you want to come? And honestly, it just sounded like a kind of wacky, why not? So, so up we went to now a very famous place. Then it was tiny. It started by Chogyam Trungpa, who became very well known. And anyway, it was all kind of exotic and difficult and hours of meditation and chanting. And halfway through our time there, someone gave me a very classical Buddhist text and I was sitting in our room reading it. And it was literally like a curtain open. And in that moment, I 100% knew mm. what this was speaking about. And it changed my life, literally, in one moment. So ever since then, that has been the core of that pursuit, that looking, that researching, that wow. developing has and continues to be the, the center of my life. That's pretty amazing. I think you're very young. I feel like my, I think when I was younger, I had moments of like, I knew I could manifest things and I was clear. There was things that happened to me 
that made it clear I could drive my own life. But I don't think I had the spiritual awakening until much later. I was very much, I mean, I, in my surviving self for most of my 20s, I think that's pretty powerful that you right. opened a book, connected, and started a pursuit. Mm. And so then how did that shape, I guess, your early adolescence? It shaped it in that I was relentlessly seeking the literature, the teachers who spoke about this. I was pursuing yoga, music. Carlos Castaneda was a huge kind of beacon. And, you know, I had a very good friend and we were both really into this. So we would go hiking in mountains and then we would run down steep mountainsides to get into altered states. You know, I was like relentless. Wow. Um, so everything was about, you know, trying to find out more about this experience more, dive more and more deeply. And then, you know, I, w I always knew I would go into the arts because I was brought up in a film family. But I went into the theater. And just before I began my studies, I found a couple of people, famous figures in the theater, who showed me that theater could be a spiritual path. And I was so happy. So the next 20 years, that was my path. I was exploring basically the altered states that actors could go into when their whole body became totally open. They became like channels. And I researched that for 20 years. Like, how would that happen? How would we practice that? And it was amazing. I mean, we had just extraordinary experiences in the rehearsal room particularly. So, yeah, that, that's kind of briefly. I'm fascinated by this idea of surrendering which you talk about in your book and mm, surrendering right. in, in acting and in theater. And so how did you figure out how to get people into that state faster? What was like some of the tidbits of the methodology? I'm sure you can't right. spend 20 years of research and study in the next two minutes, but to give me a little sense of how that works. Mm, well, that's a beautiful question. I can actually say it very simply that the deep opening of the body was at the core of it particularly the pelvis and spine, uh, because if you, and we worked for years with that, because the more deeply the body opens, our whole mind, body, heart, soul goes into a much higher frequency. And then the channeling that comes down, is fully embodied. It happens in every cell of the body, which is what you see in a great actor or a great musician, is that they're playing and literally every cell of their body is feeling the, the music or the text. But the, for us, the key was a deeper and deeper opening of the body, which also led to the kind of natural surrender you're speaking about, where I, I don't produce what's happening. I, I allow it. It comes like a river. My job as a performer is to have the right kind of structure and control but I'm not controlling the material. That's coming. That's coming. That's like a river. It's an amazing, I mean, it's, I'm still totally fascinated by performance. And no, art. I mean, it, I've, I'm also a professional DJ, and so I've been doing it for over a decade. And one of the things I find is that DJing has always been access to flow state for me. It's always been the quickest and easiest exactly. way for me to get to this flow state yes. that 
the question is, how do you replicate that in other areas of your life? Because when we're operating that flow state, it really is the most, I joke, but I sometimes am like, this is what it must feel like to be God because it's so deep nourishment, deep contentment, and your brain is off. You know, you're exactly. you're just incredibly present in such a meaningful way, which exactly. great acting is present. Right. So you're in the moment with the other people. Right. And so acting is full of these bizarre exercises to get you warmed up and get you sort of in that space. Is your methodology more focused on, is it somatic? Is it body awareness? How do you get people into that open state physically? Now you mean, how do I do that now with the leaders I work with? I meant, um, I, I want to get to leadership in a second, yes. but I mean with the actors, and then we'll talk about, because okay. I have so many questions about the leadership component. Um, but. Well, well, first of all, I was deeply immersed in the work of Jerzy Grotowski, very famous Polish director. So I went to Poland. I then worked for three years as an actor with a Grotowski-inspired group in Switzerland. And his actors used to come and work with us. So I had a full-on three years of this work. And it was a whole series of, of exercises. I mean, I sometimes joke. I say, we spent three years opening the pulpit. It sounds ridiculous. But no, it doesn't. I get it. It's like did. mastery that takes is literally time. What, you know, it, it was like deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I mean, I have video of me demonstrating stuff and when i show it to people now they're like what i mean my body was doing crazy stuff cool <laughs> because uh grotowski said it was you you get to the point where there is no gap between inner impulse and outer action the body becomes totally light like you cease to feel gravity in your body it's like you're flying wow it's i mean we worked night after night we would work often all night night after night and it, we pushed i mean it was very extreme i la- i later learned how to work in a more subtle way at that time because there wasn't all the movements there are now the way we knew was to push it was like you know also you get to a certain state of fatigue and your body just surrenders whether you like it or not so but it was extraordinary work and and when I went to Poland, we did very, very extreme work with one of Grotowski's assistants. Like we went out to a forest in February. It was freezing, like minus 10 or something. We were in a rundown stable. There were about 12 of us, literally a ruin. And the leader said, this is going to be very difficult. Here's what we're going to do. For five days, we're not going to talk. We're going to walk and run in the forest and we would come back freezing no coats or gloves or scarves nothing warm you were allowed to wear we would get in our sleeping bags two hours later we were woken up we're going out again for five days sounds like torture that's what i mean by well a lot of it was yeah and there were moments that i will never forget of total oneness with everything around, wow, which was obviously the the, the goal, yeah. Um, but you know, I've always done I throughout my my life, and I've trained with different teachers. Um, intense body work has always been a central part of it, because as you said, when you're in flow state, it's not a mental condition. Flow state is a state of our whole 
uh, nervous system, actually. It's got very little to do with thinking. In fact, you never get into it. It's thinking. not thinking. That's the beauty of it. I always say it's that not thinking. Yeah, some exactly. of my work exactly. is more cerebral. It turns my brain on and some of my work turns my brain off. And both are necessary components, Yeah, I believe, to be the best version of myself. I think you have to be able to turn off and turn on. Well, the way I say it now, because now I'm working all the time with very senior leaders and all the people I work with, I would say 99% when we first start, they're totally over-dominated by thinking. Like thinking is the primary modality. Paralyzed. I call that being a narrative. It's like everything is a narrative about how are you feeling? You just hear this whole narrative that's disconnected. So what I speak about now is we actually need to relocate internally to come to a much deeper inner place within which I have a very sophisticated thinking capacity, but it's not dominating, it's serving. Actually, Einstein said, you have to, you have to find out whether your mind is your master or your servant. We need our thinking capacity, but we need to be rooted in a much deeper, more embodied center inside. Then I have my emotional resonance. I have my thinking. I have my intuition. That's what leader is healer is. It's that I'm working in a much, much bigger, uh, holistic, modality in which all parts of me are working together coherently, right. one part of which is very sophisticated, rational thinking. Well, I think what's hard, there's so much unlearning that has to come into being an embodied leader because society and capitalism tells us we need to operate through force. We need to operate through logic. And what happens is what I have seen so much of is the disconnection from the trust in ourselves and our own intuition. And when we disconnect from that, we actually you know, turn off this hyper superpower we have, which is our intuition. That's, we tend to devalue, but actually is the inner compass and the inner guiding light. And the more that I talk to founders or leaders and I ask them like, well, what are you feeling? Or what are you thinking? What does your body tell you? I don't have to tell you, you know the answer. I'm just asking you what you already know. And they've lost that connection. And so making that reconnect is such a big part of embodiment because for so long, society has told us to, to ignore it. Absolutely. It starts in school. I mean, the, the left brain is prioritized. You know, we just met a wonderful couple here, friends in Israel, who've been very high in government, and now they've resigned because what's happening in Israel is catastrophic. But they've got children aged 10 and 7, and they're going to take them traveling for six months. They're going to Japan, Cambodia, Vietnam, India, Thailand. I was so moved when they were describing it. I mean, to do that with children that age, it's going to be such an expansion rather than sitting in a classroom learning mathematics and, you know, whatever else. No, I think it's important it to remember beautiful. we're part of this global fabric. And especially, you know, in the U.S., where I am, we have a very clear culture that is very different than another culture. And I think we have to remember that we're we, not I, and America tends to be very individualistic in a way that's obviously- Not just America, Denise. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's yeah. everywhere. That is the state of humanity. Yeah. Exactly what you say. And we're in big, big crisis globally. Major big, crisis. Big, big crisis. 
So when you were working in the forest and doing this sort of more force approach to the work of opening the body, have you then decided in your own personal refinement and methodology, are you less force oriented? What is your approach now? I'm hugely less force oriented and that developed over time. I do very, like when I work with leaders, I do very, very deep somatic work, but in a very gentle, very focused way, no pushing at all. It's like bringing deep awareness into the body and the breathing and the grounding. And it's quite mind blowing. You know, people, I, I do a whole process even with people lying on the floor. And by the time they come up and walk and sit, they're, they're in a very, very different state because the whole body has come alive and they've relocated. They've come out of, I'm here as thinker. I'm here as a sensory, alive, organic being. And I talk a lot about being and doing. We've lost touch with being. We're totally into doing, doing, doing. Um, so a very important part of this is is learning to pay attention in a far more refined way. Because the moment we pay attention, we already break the spell of thinking. It's, and, and this is measurable as well. Our brainwave function changes. If I really understand what paying attention means, and some of the leaders I work with get this very quickly. Others, after three or four months, will say, I finally understood, Nicholas. I finally understood the difference between thinking and paying attention because they can seem similar. No, they're totally different. So that is a very, very powerful tool because the moment we really pay attention to usually something internal, but it could be something external, our whole brainwave frequency changes. We actually move more naturally towards flow state, which is alpha wave brain frequency. So I also teach a very sim I teach two very core practices. One is to maintain inner and outer attention at the same time. And you find this in different traditions. It's a mastery practice. Because most people like when we relate to the outside, we go out. Yeah, but then I'm not here anymore. Like listening is not I go out to you. No, listening is here and I'm receiving you. So I'm feeling you and I'm feeling myself at the same time. That has endless refinement. The second practice is what I call the backward circle. This came from a Zen master I trained with a long time ago. He used to say at any one moment, you're on a forward circle or a backward circle. And if you're on a forward circle, get off it. Because a forward circle, I come up and I come out of my core and I go out. Backward circle, I come back, I come down, I feel my body, I feel my pelvis, I feel my feet. Whatever I'm doing, I'm here. So that for a lot of people becomes a very powerful image. People need to remind themselves throughout the day in any meeting, in any Zoom call. And this, these simple practices have a big impact big impact because you know leaders can spend a whole day on zoom and they're in a kind of fog basically no take a breath feel your body you're going to listen much much better the whole quality of your conversation is going to be much better people i work with do this and it already really changes something 
that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. Oh, there's, I'm there's sure. Uh, oh, I'm sure. But I think what you've touched <laughs> on for me is the quality of presence. And I have found I went through a big, mm. a big work shift myself. I was building a startup and it didn't work out and it sort of forced mm. me to surrender and reorganize how I wanted to work in the world and how I wanted to show up. And right. one of the big things for me was choosing to be deeply present and not outcome or goal focused at all. And mm. in the quality of presence, you're in flow state. So things start, all the goals happen because, and you don't need to fixate on them because mm. you're so present. And what's been so amazing about the quality of presence is that everything just started to fall into place in this really beautiful right. way as, as the world, you know, as, as the, the earth teaches us, they, it grows, it takes care of what these, it takes care of, it takes care of itself. It's a holistic <laughs> ecosystem that provides. And that for me has been such a big difference is not just being here, just being here with you is the only thing that matters. And when you do that, I think it, it reverberates out in a different way. For sure. Yes, for sure. Exactly. So when people decide to work with you, I feel like every time someone knows they need to do the work or they're stepping into doing the work, mm. there's always a big amount of resistance before they say yes and surrender to the work, which is different from then surrendering after. Do you feel that a lot or do you feel like that most people that come to you are very open and ready? Well, I do a mixture of one-to-one -one work and group work. Let's take the one-to-one -one work because I work with some very senior leaders. Before we start, I give a very clear map of what we're going to be doing. So, for instance, core to me is we're going to work on two parallel streams. One is more we're going to practice meditation, mindfulness. We're going to do subtle body work and so on. Everything that opens our system. And we're also going to do trauma work. Because if we don't do trauma work, this is not enough. And that's going to be uncomfortable. And you need to sign up to do that. And I will very gently hold you while we do that. So that, I mean, I talk for longer, but that's the basis of what I'm saying. If they say, I want to work with you, I say, go away. And I don't need more clients. Actually, I mostly turned clients away now. Then we'll work. But you need to know, and I'm not compromising. I'm not doing light work here. We're going to go deep. We're going to look into ancestral trauma. We're going to look at collective trauma. And if you're ready, let's work. And we do, it's really, really, I feel so grateful because we meet at such a deep level, such an intimate level. I feel often just incredible gratitude. And I, I work with people who have massive responsibility. And that when they're, when they're ready, sometimes in the first session, which is, I'm like, wow, we've gone so deep. Sometimes it's gradual, you know, it depends. The same process occurs in a group, although we don't necessarily have a pre-meeting. So I have to lay out the territory at the beginning. And then we work through the different layers. The biggest breakthrough, Denise, is always the emotional. It's always when we finally create a, it becomes safe enough that people can be vulnerable. People can cry people can express their anxiety, big breakthrough, because that's what we keep very locked up a lot of the time. I had a guest last season, Alok, who said, they said, abundance is lost on trauma. And I 
my jaw sort of hit the floor because that's exactly how I feel is that we're limiting the potential. That's why leadership is such an amazing opportunity because these people with great responsibility that are in these places of power and leadership, if we heal ourselves, there's such a massive effect that we can bring to the world. But I think that's, I think the, the leadership line is hard. Like when you called your book Leader is Healer, I was like, it spoke to me, but I'm speaking the same language as you. And so I was wondering about the language you use, how you feel it penetrates the community that you want to change the most. It really does. I mean, consider the fact that I've been working for nine months, working with Leader as Healer, with one of the biggest international law firms. Now, those are not people you would think initially would be receptive. But we are, and we, it's an incredible project. We've done, my team and I have done over 250 one-to-one coaching sessions. I've run five in-person retreats with very senior partners in the law firm. Um, I'm working with some of the top leaders in the firm individually. I'm very good at explaining the work. I'm very good at creating the validation of the work. And I create a safe space. Of course, initially, there's a lot of kind of, we'll call it resistance, if you want. I don't really like that word, but there's a lot of kind of mm, mm, fighting in a way. Yeah. But, you know, if we have enough time, by the second day, there is always a melting. And it's very beautiful. When men start to cry, men who normally would be like that would be the last thing they would think they might do. It's very powerful because the hearts start to open. No, it's really beautiful. It's really, really beautiful mm. work. And it's really... I'm very, very, very uncompromising. I'm very gentle and very uncompromising. Yeah. Well, I think it's always the hold the boundary, but, you know, hold people as you hold your own boundary. <laughs> you know, I think there's a... Exactly. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I'm, I've had to learn because I'm a very honest person. I'm a very boundary oriented, honest person that people have to understand that being honest and having boundaries is actually very kind. It's one of the kindest things we can do. Mm. It's very spiritual to speak truth. And a lot of people don't do that for fear mm. of hurting someone else's feelings. But when you learn how to deliver the language in the right way, it's a gift and it's incredibly kind. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things I'm teaching a lot is that our natural state is to be highly attuned to each other. And as you said earlier in our conversation, we've totally lost that. When we really come home to ourselves, for me, relating is, I feel you. I hear your words, but much more importantly, I feel you and you feel me. That's relating and there's so little relating. I have leaders who come to me after a few months and they say, literally, they say things like, you know, Nicholas, I just realized no one is really listening to anyone. They hadn't realized that before because they were in that system. We've normalized absence. We've normalized not relating. We've normalized existing in these abstract intellectual bubbles that are lifeless, have no chi. That's become normal. So it's only when there's enough wake up to presence that we can see, oh my gosh, we're walking around in this fog. It's literally a kind of fog of no, disconnection. It is. And you can't, 
unsee what you've seen. I think once you cross that chasm, it's very clear. You're like, whoa. That's exactly. But while you're living in it, it's what everyone's doing. You don't know any other way. And so that's what I always tell people is we don't know what we don't know. And we don't have to feel bad about not knowing that. But once you cross the chasm, you have to you have to do the work or the maintenance to stay in that state. Right, it's very easy right, right. to get out of alignment. Well, then in a way the that then in a way the trouble starts because <laughs> 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 then it becomes serious. Yeah, <laughs> you can't pretend you're in ignorance. That, but seriously, then there's a you know a whole different order of challenge starts once you once you begin to to wake up. Let's say. As my therapist says, life is about getting back to alignment. So anytime you feel yourself dip out, you just have to check mm. in and get back. And so that's part mm. of part of the practice and part of the dance is being okay that, okay, something's happening right. here. I understand something's happening here. Let me get back to alignment. Mm. Yeah, because also, you know, most corporate culture is doing the opposite of supporting presence. So even if some people begin and... and you know, it is often the question people come for a two day program and they're going through this amazing experience and they're like, yeah, but Nicholas, how is this going to, how am I going to do this when I'm back in a culture where it's dog eat dog and fighting? And, you know, that's what I mean by the trouble starts. Then you have to really expand your practice. You have to have community of support. You have to have ongoing input. That's very challenging. If you start to be more present and awake, but you're in a culture that doesn't support that, which a lot of cultures do not. No, it's very yeah, challenging. It's challenging. I just read this book, How to Do Nothing. And in the book, the author references this performance artist. Her whole thing is to do subtle acts that subvert culture. So she went into a big consulting firm and she just sat at a desk and people were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Knowing she's a hire. And she's like, I'm doing thought work. And over the course of two weeks, her thinking at a desk became so confronting, people started complaining that she wasn't working, when thinking is just as much working as anything else. But the brand of not working that's accepted is checking your email, reading news online, checking social media. And I was like, how fascinating that the idea of thinking at work was so confronting to the hierarchy of the structure that it caused this like internal anxiety and turmoil when she is just being. Of course. And creativity, right. you need to be. That's why the emotional work is so important. Because as soon as we start, as soon as we break this spell of fog of thinking, 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 of course, then we start to meet a lot of anxiety. We, we may meet grief. We may meet you know, everything that's been locked away inside and which our relentless doing is actually a way of protecting us from feeling much of the time. So it's a big, it's a big process to actually be willing to start to feel more and you have to have support. It can't be a solo journey. Uh, that's why we've created, we've created, uh, we've created these incredible 30 minute high-intensity coaching sessions, which we call matrix coaching. It's so powerful. And people understand because they get a explanation beforehand. We will give you only two minutes to talk about what problem you want to address. And then we'll stop you after two minutes. And then we will work with what's happening inside you. What's happening? How are you feeling? 
and it's unbelievable what is what unfolds in only 30 minutes. Sometimes we're finished in 20 minutes, and we've gone through a process that you wouldn't believe was possible because we break the narrative. We're not interested in the narrative. What is happening? Let's be with what is happening. And if you feel numb, perfect. Let's be with that. Let's be with that. Let's be with exactly what's true. Wow. It's a, it's an amazing, um, methodology that has, has unfolded and very difficult because most coaches are trained to do something. Most coaches are trained to try and help you get somewhere. And we're doing exactly the opposite. We're saying, let's be fully here. I think there's a big difference, though. There's a lot of coaches that are employing, I describe them as like Band-Aid mechanisms. You're just, you know, if you're not getting to the root yeah. of the leader, the trauma like you work with, then it doesn't matter how much coaching you have. You're going to face the same hurdles because you have to heal the root to actually level up in leadership. I agree. And there's actually very, I know very little coaching that really goes to the root. Very little. It's you and, and very little. Yeah. it's you and uh, I had uh, another coach on last season. It's the two of you in this whole world. I'm sure there's more, but that's all I've uncovered thus far. <laughs> no, there are, there, there are more, but it's a relatively small number compared to the thousands of coaches that have had. Totally. Yeah. I know because I teach a program called Transformational Coaching. Oh, amazing. And people are, people are first of all, and I get very experienced coaches, and they're shocked when they understand what I do with corporate people, they're like, really? You work at that depth with leaders? Yeah, I do. Because it's not normal. It's not considered normal. That's, I mean, that's the goal is that we normalize it because I really think that's the way we, we birth the world we want to live agree. in and we have less destruction. We have to. We have to. What made you want to pivot into leadership? Uh, it happened again. I didn't plan it. I was involved in the opening of Shakespeare's Globe Theatre in London, which is a really amazing theatre. And my best friend was directing Henry V, Shakespeare's Henry V. My best friend was Richard Olivier, son of Laurence Olivier. And we were invited to a very explore, exploratory workshop to go and work with some um, public service leaders and explore the story of Henry V and see what it had to say about leadership. And they were so lit up by the learning that it lit a kind of fire in us. And um, we were familiar with the whole use of story because it was very much in the men's movement at the time, which we were very involved with. And to cut a long story short, we started really exploring this and, and we got a lot of support in the next years from one of the quite big business schools in the UK. And we were using this methodology of taking a powerful story by Shakespeare and using it as a mirror. And we started to find that people were getting so much from it. And we got really fascinated to work with people who had real power and influence. And it was a natural move. After about three years, my colleague Richard Olivier invited myself and one other person, let's leave the theater, let's make a consultancy. Because we were already getting a lot of work. I mean, we were already getting a lot of work. And we did, and we created a consultancy, which just 
grew. I mean, we were so successful because it, we were really good and very far ahead of our time to be doing what we were doing. It was 2001 that we wow. began. And we were working all around the world and uh, we grew and grew. We had a big office in London. And then about seven, eight years ago, it was time for me to leave, which was not easy. But I had to leave and follow my path, which is more about presence. And I stopped working with Shakespeare. So it was not, I never thought when I was in the theater, if you told me in 10 years time, you'll be working with leaders, I said, no, 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 period. That's how it happens. But that's how life is. It, it evolves, it flows. And when you're in the right space. We followed, time, we followed the call. We literally followed the call. That's what life is about. And I think the big thing that we try and also encourage on this podcast is we have many chapters over the course of our lives and we don't have to quote unquote mm. made it at any point. It's like an ongoing evolution mm. and the work builds upon the work. And I'm very currently fascinated with the idea of mastery because what you can continue to achieve mm. from a very well-developed foundation and experiences is pretty phenomenal. And I think that speaks to where you are now. You're doing such incredible yes, yes. work, but you've it's built upon all the work prior. It's been years and years of work. To be able to go now into a business school as I do, I work at the world's number one business school and be totally uncompromising has taken years and years to develop and to be credible, you know, to say something radical, but in a way that they not only get it, but they feel the credibility of it. It's super important. Otherwise, you can come over as spiritual and yeah. I agree. That's my biggest thing is everyone on this podcast embodies the values that they live in. That's incredibly important to me. And you can usually see like yeah. people, people show themselves and that's, you know, you can usually I have a sensibility <laughs> around it. And I felt that in your that's book. Very true. You know, they do. They yeah. always do. Whether it's in the book right. or it's in a talk I watch, you can always see people show themselves. And it's very important for me that on this podcast, we have people that embody the leadership they're putting forth in this world. And I, talking to you, I feel it even more, but reading your book, it was felt, but you have that cultivation of presence and grounding and it's beautiful to even be virtually in front of. Mm, thank you. It's great to talk with you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're going to jump into our rapid fire section. Okay. I'm curious. I'm curious. They're very simple, but uh, they tend to be <laughs> simple no questions. I have no idea what you're going to ask me. What would you tell your 20 year old self? Follow your gut feelings and trust. Trust. That's a really good one. 20-year-old <laughs> me needed that one real bad. <laughs> <laughs> what is the last book you read? I finished a book by a, a very great spiritual master called Adi Da, called Prior Unity. I don't read very much, actually, but this book has been very profound. Prior Unity. Okay. I try and read every book that is recommended. I'm very behind, but I get to them all eventually. So I'll add it to the list. I'm very excited. It's short. It's short. Oh, good. Even better. Because I'm a fast reader, but I yeah. it's a long list. Very good. Okay. What are you struggling with right now? I'm, I'm in a leadership position that I've not been in before because I'm actually building a, quite a a substantial organization and I've never been the leader of an organization so that's bringing very interesting challenges to me on a very personal level I'm meeting the fact that although I give so much 
it's not so easy for me to receive love. And my wife and I are really beautifully working with that. I feel very fortunate. Yeah. It's a hard one. I've had to work on that one in therapy, so I understand. Mm, right. Reception is a lot harder than people give it space for. Yes. What is bringing you joy right now? Oh, many, many things. Uh, nature, music, relating, close friendship, the inspiration of the work I do, um, many things. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. And then what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? That's a difficult one. I can't answer that. Nothing comes to mind. Nothing comes to mind. I've worked with a lot of great teachers, but I can't remember a single piece of advice. <laughs> That's okay. Woo, do we have some great takeaways from Nicholas? I'm going to take us through a few of the ones that really spoke to me. The first one is find ways to turn your brain off. As I said in this episode, I have things that turn my brain on and things that turn my brain off. The more deeply our body opens, our heart, mind, and soul go into a higher frequency. I am so fascinated by this idea of a deep pelvic opening that leads to surrender. I certainly have more diligence and research to do on the subject, but I think it's a great reminder that the more we are in our body, the more we can operate on a higher frequency. Practice presence. It is the key to surrender. There's a difference between thinking and paying attention. Paying attention helps us move towards flow state and tap into the alpha brain waves, which helps to regulate our nervous system. So next time you're in a conversation with someone, think about the quality of attention rather than thinking about what you're going to say back to the person you're talking to. Zoom fatigue can keep us in a fog. Take a breath. Take a breath in between meetings. Take a walk. Take a beat so you can be the person you want to be in those meetings. This is one that comes up a lot on this podcast. Trauma work is inherent to leadership work. We cannot emphasize that enough. And the cool thing is that there's so many different avenues into that work. And obviously we showcase a bunch of them here on the podcast, but trauma work is inherent to leadership work. Relating is the key of listening. We need to feel each other. I loved this distinction from Nicholas that that quality of attention is relating and seeing and feeling somebody. Be with exactly what is true. No matter how uncomfortable you feel, sit with what is true. I so appreciate yeah. the time, Nicholas. Truly, truly, truly. I've learned so much. You've given me some homework as well. I think I now need to do more somatic work, but this has been such a gift. So thank you for the time and thank you for your book and thank you for the work that you are doing. Mm, thank you. Thank you for your beautiful relating and dialogue with me. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. This podcast is one of the most nourishing things that I do with my time. And it could not be possible without a select few people who really have put their time and energy to make this podcast live. So thank you, Wine Designs, Lenny Skolnick, and Young Scorp Social. You guys really are the unsung heroes of this podcast, the little pod that could. I thank you so, so much and can't wait to hear all of your feedback on this amazing season. Bye.